0: Oh. The sniffer. All
1: right. All right. I'm just being a goof. Hi Nora. <laughs> I you?
0: Okay. No. All oh, right. No. <laughs> okay. I am first. Mhm. This is an interesting story. Yeah, well, it's something I got from
1: The Guardian, actually. And it's about, well, you know how, way back, gosh, feels like it was a million years ago now. But remember, Google digitized all those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, OK. And it was like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> I
0: thought so, didn't you? <laughs> Preserving oh. the world's libraries. And they had there was a whole complicated back and forth with publishers and all that stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And
1: so they did it. And I thought, Google is so good. <laughs> it's mean old Apple. <laughs> and now I'm having some different thoughts because... What Google is doing with some of those digitized books is, is they are using specifically genre books or novels to teach AI how to use language, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And they, sa- they were saying that the reason being, especially with things like romance, is, is that there's su- such a specific way that, let's say, 14-year-old girls talk. Mm-hmm. And so the robots or the AI, it can learn all the different possible ways that a 14-year-old might think.
0: Mm-hmm. So and the idea is that if you're engaging with a chatbot or something, it's going to be a more natural conversational discussion. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So I thought that was really, really cool. And at first, but then I looked at it and then I went, "Oh wait a minute, no." The real story here is that Google has a lot of money. And this isn't to read. They're using this to teach their AI, and -hmm. they're not giving the authors any dosh at all. It's all for free Mm you know, for their Google libraries. Mm -hmm. What did you think?
0: I mean, first of all, right now it's a research project, so they're not technically making any money off of it now, but presumably that is kind of the future, right, is that kind of thing. The first thing I thought was, this is just what's going on with the database gold rush because we have these two things going on of all of us pumping out enormous amounts of data and at the same time, we've had this kind of revolution in artificial intelligence where AI is learning based on being fed these enormous, enormous data sets. Right? It's not so much the programmer giving AI a set of rules to follow. It's like okay, observe the patterns in these enormous data sets, and so in this case, it's professional authors' things. And you know, certainly, I mean, you and I are authors. You can think about like, well, is that really fair that you're using our sweat equity to to make something that's potentially very profitable? Um, But it it is kind of an extension of what's happening with all of us, right? That all of that data that we're pumping out about you know all of our speech habits and all of our texts that we're entering is potentially a corpus of data to be harvested for use in in AI it seems to me i haven't really checked mm-hmm. into the terms ridiculous. of service agreements of all these things but i mean at least you could argue that if i'm using something like facebook or google that i'm getting something in return which is the free use of these services yes whereas as an author you're not really getting anything out of the deal right you're just Going into this big database. So, yeah, it was a very thought provoking kind of thing. But I thought it was so smart to use genre fiction to teach robots how to talk. What's, what's the reason for using like romance novels or whatever? Why?
1: Um, if you're talking about detective fiction, uh-huh. there's specific speech patterns. Right. So the robots, and I know I should probably say AI, but I like to say robots. So <laughs> we'll just always say robots. Terminator. <laughs> there's all these different types of speech patterns that you could pick up if you were reading Raymond Chandler right up until you know today Carl Hiaasen or something Mm -hmm. like that different kinds of speech patterns that they would use in that particular kind of genre fiction but there's tons of them Mm -hmm. So you can pick up, they can pick up all those different patterns and it's the same way I love you Bob, oh Susie, Mm -hmm. you know as opposed to deeper fiction would be much more subtle and nuanced and I don't think it's easy for a computer to grasp. Right, or
0: maybe much more idiosyncratic, right, that it might reflect the individual author's style more than genre fiction.
1: Yeah, 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 Yeah. Hey, that's a good point, yeah, yeah, Yeah. And it's the same thing with sci-fi and anything, you know, but there's real rules to it. It's like soap operas. Although I don't know. You know how I feel about this teaching robots everything. We're teaching
0: them too much now. Well, you could see how, I mean, the I already water. look over my shoulder when I walk on the street now. <laughs> yeah. You know, the knock on chatbots now is that they're like not really useful for anything and they're not very good and whatever, but you could see a future where we really are just talking to little bots as though they're other human beings.
1: Well, yeah, I can imagine, like, especially if you had one that was like an expert in, like, let's say something like, I love Game of Thrones, right? So if you had a bot who had read, seen, read all of the Game of Thrones, and you could actually have a decent mm-hmm. conversation, a geeking, geek out with your bot about, you know, what's going to happen with Tyrion Lannister.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would be so okay. awful. Well, if you don't have any friends, or if your friends don't want to talk about that... You can talk to me about Game of Thrones. Okay. At least I'm fairly sure that I have subjectivity. Yeah. <laughs> as far <laughs> as I know, maybe that's an illusion. <laughs> anyway, I have uh, not a ton to add about my story, but... Um, I love your story. I want to do this. It's pretty fun. It's this project by this guy named Jonathan Dunn, who's American, but he lives in London, England. He, I guess he was sort of noticing, basically, that maybe this is a cliche about Londoners, but that everyone would sit on the tube minding their own business and reading their books or whatever, and so he made up these buttons, you know, those kind of big pin-on buttons that you wear that just say tube chat and the little London tube icon. So the idea is that if you're wearing one of these buttons, it means that you're open to chatting with a stranger on uh, the tube and which is a so sweet idea yeah. um and but then the thing that was probably one's <laughs> a tube punch <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> tube punch <laughs> Wow! <Whap. laughs> but the thing i found so funny about it was um the reactions that people had, there was a lot of negative reaction, but the character of it was this very typically dry English humour, which was sort of self-mocking at the same time. So on Twitter, people were saying things like, you know, it's not true that people don't talk to each other on the tube, I distinctly remember having a chat in 2004. I know. And then people started making these like gag buttons that were riffing on the main thing, the tube chat thing. So somebody made one that was, wake me up if a dog gets on. (laughs) I thought, I just love that. Like, that's my favorite thing about the internet is the way people will pick up on a concept and toss it around and have fun with it and and spoof it and things like yeah that. so yeah. it was very very funny but I did I loved the idea of um you know especially because there is really this epidemic apparently of loneliness especially in big cities and I thought we shouldn't all be just listening to podcasts and playing games on our phone like why she, not talk to a stranger
1: I'm, I'm, I'm a stranger talker are you I am mm. it doesn't matter where I go and you know what 99 out of 100 times people engage. Really? You would expect that would be, you know, get tube slapped or tube punched yeah. more often. But Even no. in Toronto
0: where people have a reputation for being kind of frosty. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's great. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty friendly. And then I'll, come on, what's up your ass? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although somebody made a point in one of the critiques of it, which was that... Um, and I'll put up a link to the the full article on the website, one of the sort of arguments about it was, you know, it's fine if you're a woman who people are not gonna regard as being particularly threatening, but that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Maybe people don't react the same way. I mean, I would definitely react more positively to a woman talking to me than a man because I would assume that yeah you know like you just, just assume that they're trying to pick you up, or they make the point about um, you know prejudice, what if the person is a you know six foot six african American guy is that person going to have the same kind of reaction or whatever, which is a valid point i'll talk to anybody you're a friendly gal i
1: am yeah it's funny i'm friendly, but i don't like like long sustained periods of time talking to people like three or four hours but yeah, no nice train trip dip 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 dip, dip, dip. then you leave and You've just had a great
0: correspondence with another human being. That's great. That's why we keep the sniffer to 10 minutes, because after that, it's like, ah, yeah, I'm bored, i <laughs> I've
1: had enough. I want to go and drink now. <laughs> no, it's time to
0: eat. We do have a picnic uh, on the way we this do. evening, so that should yes. be fun. Okay. So come to the website for links to these stories and more, thesniffer.net. Yes, and if you're so inclined to give us
1: a little, hey, we like these guys on iTunes, we'd appreciate that it. That would be lovely. Or okay. check out the links on your phone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Let's Bye. eat. Bye. Yes.